Deadwood Soundwell. Hello, and welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, a certified animal behavior consultant. I would like you to be able to contact me with any questions you may have regarding particularly behavior issues, but I can address other things as well. One of my favorites is nutrition. So we're here to help you, and Nate will tell you how to get your questions to us. To get your questions to us, just email livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. That's livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. And also, you can find Living With Your Dog on Facebook. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Hi, welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, Certified Dog Behavior Consultant. My friend Kitty, a veterinarian, sent this to me, and I think it's so timely, especially with the hot weather we're getting right now. And it's, it's a sign that's posted someplace that she copied, and it starts off, hot asphalt, and it lists air temperature and asphalt temperature. So it says, air temperature 77 degrees, asphalt temperature 125 air temperature 86 degrees, asphalt temperature 135. 87 degree air temperature, and we were more than that here yesterday, it's 143 degrees. And it goes on to say at 125 degrees, skin destruction can occur in just 60 seconds. Always check the asphalt before, prior to allowing your dog to walk on it. Paws will get burned. And the tip is, if it's too hot for your bare feet, it's too hot for theirs. So I have no idea. It was in the high 90s here yesterday. I have no idea how warm asphalt would get, but I'll bet you could have fried an egg. And I see people walking their dogs in when it's hot along the side of the road. Again, asphalt. And... It's where are you? What are you thinking? Well, you're not thinking. It's serious. Yeah. yeah, you're not thinking. Um, and and it's it's really sad. I don't care whether it's a dog with a proper nose as compared to a, brachyce, uh, a brachycephalic. The reality is that in general, it's not a good idea to be walking the dogs, let alone exercising them when it's extremely hot. It just isn't a good idea. And uh, it's very difficult to bring water along and keep it at a temperature. If it's if it's room temperature, as, at least say, if it's 85 or 95 degree water temperature, it's not going to cool the dogs. So it's, it's very important to do your walking early and late if possible, but stay off of the, the asphalt, folks, please. All right. Okay. So you had mentioned, you know, you see dogs walking along the side of the road. Those are on the sidewalks. Those sidewalks usually are more like cement and not asphalt, but it still gets just as hot, doesn't it? Well, it may not get quite as hot because the asphalt is black. Right. But it's going to get hot. And, and of course, particularly if you have a dark dog, I have a black dog. That sun beats down on that coat and they get much warmer than a dog that's lighter colored in a coat. But also keep in mind, they're right close to the ground. You are, what, four, maybe four feet nose-wise um, above them. 
So they're not only walking on the hot stuff, they're also inhaling the heat to a greater extent than you are. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. They are lower to the ground. And so the ground seeping up from the hot asphalt is going to create like a little cloud or air pocket of heat. And sure. we're, you know, four feet above that. We're right. not sensing that with our not sensing it to the extent. And that, yeah. that heat is radiating up to their bellies, to their bodies, to their nose, to their head. So it's a, a whole big picture. Don't go there from here. Don't do that. Oh, the dog thinks exercise. Not that badly. Not that badly. <laughs> yeah, the sun being out and it being a hot day is a good, good uh, excuse to take the day off. Right. And another idea is for, for black dogs that if you're going to be out when it's moderate, it's probably a good idea to have a little light colored jacket on them that's reflecting some of the heat as compared to, mm. you know, like, like just something in cotton, not very heavy. You don't want to make them warmer, but something to reflect the heat that um, may help them to be more comfortable if indeed this is something that you feel is necessary to do. That is something else I didn't think about too. Put, put a jacket on a dog when it's hot. On a black dog, you want to put something lighter on it so that it- yeah, like, white, like white cotton, yeah. Yeah. To help reflect. That's I think it helps. great idea. Again, I didn't think about that either. Man, these little teeny things, about our dogs that we don't really consider yeah. until somebody like Charlotte <laughs> brings it to mind. Okay, let me ask you this then. So I know that dogs have pads on the bottom of their paws. Right. You're telling me that that is not enough protection? No, the pads have nerves and, and you know they, they feel them and so they can burn. They actually burn their pads. When it's that hot. So the so the pad isn't necessarily like a pad. It's more like a fingertip. Right. It's it's um, cushy for shock absorbing purposes, mm -hmm. but it's definitely uh, sensitive. It has nerves in it and a blood supply, and it, it will get burned. Yeah. And what happens when they burn? Will it peel like? Will their paws peel like our skin does? Well, it could actually get dangerous and, and, and um, serious enough that you would need to get your dog to a veterinarian. But keep in mind that they have to walk around on those feet when they're blistered and hot. So not only that, but I can see it maybe potentially causing some infection. So if your dog has an abrasion on the bottom of its paw, it's oh, still yeah. walking around on the dirt and the gravel and all that stuff. Yeah. There could be some infection going on in there as well. Right. It's, it it's actually, if, you know, if the dog has, you know, picked up um, a thorn or a burr and there's a little bit of infection going, it's a good idea to put a little boot on them so that they're not, not getting in, you know, more in, uh, more exposed to bacteria to increase the degree of infection that they're dealing with. And that was going to be my next question. Are there products that we can put on our dog's feet so that we can walk on the hot sand or on the yes, hot asphalt? Yes, there, there are. There are. I don't know that there are any specifically designed for heat. They certainly are for freezing. Right. That to prevent the buildup of ice uh, between their toes and so on. But I, I suspect that there are some that 
for example, that the vet would prescribe when your dog has had a little surgery on the foot or something like that, that it, that you can slip on. And, you know, not all dogs are going to be happy with those things. That's something on their <laughs> foot and they're going to find them walking in a strange way and shaking yes. their feet. So it would be a process of, of training them to like the idea instead of making the walk totally miserable for them. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. And let me see if I can do this correctly after learning from you for four and a half years. So to, in order to get my dog comfortable with those little booties, and again, I'll go back to the dog videos. I've seen dog videos of, you know, you put the booties on the dog's yeah. feet and the dogs were walking all weird and it, it looks <laughs> yeah. really funny and it, you know, creates a laugh, but again, the dog's uncomfortable. We need to do our best to make the dog comfortable. So in order for my, get my dog to be comfortable with the booties, I'm going to show him the booties and give him a treat. There you and go. Then I'm going to touch the booty to his feet, not put it on, but I'm uh -huh. going to touch it to his feet and give him a treat. There you go. And I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm not going to advance into the next step until I've done it like three or four times. Look uh -huh. at the booty, give a treat, look at the booty, give a treat, look at the booty, give a treat, touch the booty, give a treat, touch the booty, give a treat, touch the booty, give a treat. And then slowly progress to where I'm putting it on a booty on maybe on like one paw and uh -huh. then giving a treat. Right. Do I have that? Do I, did I you do got it? it. And you're right. You, three times, maybe you don't want to stay very long at each step. And if the dog gets frantic, you want to go back to the previous step until the dog is comfortable there. But, but you don't want to do eight or 10 times because you just get stuck there. That's, mm -hmm. that's all the dog wants you to do. So it's a matter of just build up in small increments towards the final goal so it's kind of a shaping process right but you're like associating keeping the dog guessing yeah but it's you're giving the dog a positive association and it's then you wouldn't be just slipping them on and going for a hike so for sure yeah <laughs> okay. okay well well i hope there is a product like that uh and if not we have a great idea for a new product charlotte there you go there you go <laughs> Okay, and I do believe that um, you can verify this. I believe this is uh, Dr. Patricia McConnell. Dogs anger and anger about saying that dogs can get angry. So this was from um, just May of this year. So I don't bury the lead. That's where I'm going today. Why does the concept that dogs can get angry make some people angry? I was reminded of that when I was looking up something for in the love of the love of a dog. I often forget where I wrote that and ran into the introduction to the chapter on anger. That brought me back to an incident years ago in which someone became enraged at my suggestion that dogs could get angry. I wrote about this briefly in a November 2008 post relating my experience at a day-long meeting at the National Institute of Health on the Human-Animal Bond. I was one of several speakers. Yes, it's definitely Patricia McConnell. In the company of zoo anthropologist, Dr. James Serpell, Dr. Sandra Barker, and Dr. Joan S. Naira. Here's what I wrote, she says, in November 2008. I spoke second after Serpell, arguing that the, the profound love that many of us have for our dogs is a biological phenomenon that deserves more scientific attention. In my talk, I speculated, as I did in the book For the Love of the Dog, that one of the reasons we become so intensely attached to dogs is that dogs have such expressive faces. And as Darwin argued over a century ago, 
Their expressions of fear, anger, and happiness are very much like our own. Those comments were soundly criticized by a veterinary behaviorist in the audience who argued that I was being problematically anthropomorphic to one, make any association between the expressions of people and expressions of dogs, and two, use the word anger in association with dogs. I can't quote the person exactly, but the point was that anger is a human construct and it's wrong to attribute it to dogs. What I didn't say then and will say now is that this person was not just in disagreement with what I said, she was furious about it. She was actually shaking with emotion as she criticized me. When I sat down practically shaking myself after being so publicly castigated, James Serpell says something like, what the hell did you do to her? <laughs> but I'd never met her before in my life. Continuing with my comments, comments in 2008, she says, I was and am fascinated by her criticisms. First off, the evidence continues to grow about the continuum of the biology of emotion in mammals. We share the same basic neuroanatomy related to emotions, the same neurophysiology related to emotions, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, to name a few, and many of the same behavioral reactions. Emotions are such primitive things, it always interests me that ascribing them to non-human animals makes people uncomfortable. Of course, there's a huge difference between how an emotion is processed in my brain, the brain of a human, and that of a dog, but the glass is half full as well as half empty. And the biology of emotions is far more similar in dogs and, and people than it is different. In addition, I'd love to claim credit for the notion that the expressions of emotions on the faces of dogs and people are related. But since Darwin wrote about it over 100 years ago, I think I'd better not. <laughs> Unless you believe that people and other animals have virtually no biological connection of any kind, it is sound science to compare the expressions of the two highly social mammals who use subtle visual signals to main, maintain social harmony. And this, this shows a picture of, and it says, this is a friend and colleague, Chelsea Wagner, helping me create photos for the love of a dog by making an angry expression. I'm especially interested in the expressed concern that anger is a human construct. I've heard that before from several different fields, and yet anger or rage, as it's often called in the literature, is considered one of the most basic and primal of emotions. Jack Pansky, author of Effective Neuroscience, the Foundations of Human and Animal Emotions, calls rage one of the core emotions of all mammals. Truly, you can't attribute fear to a dog and then deny that a dog could get angry. Those two emotions are too closely tied together in so many, many ways. Example, the amygdala is critically involved in the emotions of both fear and anger. So what emotion would you contribute attribute to this dog, if any? And it shows a picture of a dog. To me, the dog looked very worried. It was standing head very low, tail between his legs. And there was certainly a lot of emotion there. I believe completely and without question, she says, that dogs can experience anger. The biology to support that is overwhelming. However, and this is a big however, I also think that anger is one of the emotions that people most misunderstand in dogs. Owners often tell tra trainers or behaviorists that their dog defecated on the car carpet because he was angry that he'd been left when the motivating emotions were, was either fear 
of being left alone or none in particular because the dog simply wasn't house trained. I would argue that although dogs can get angry, for example, when frustrated by being pulled away from the window while barking at a passerby, dogs actually experience anger very little compared to humans. Let me add something to that line, that dogs experience very little compared to humans. It's frankly a miracle to me that dogs aren't more angry than they are. Get a bunch of trainers and vets and behaviorists together with some bottles of wine, and you'll hear expressions of shock that our dogs haven't killed and eaten us yet. <laughs> it's hard, and you know this is Patricia McConnell, right? It's hard to believe that they put what they put up with from us. Their benevolence may in part relate to the discovery that dogs have genetic mutations similar to humans with Williams-Buran syndrome, result, resulting in hypersociability and exceedingly high levels of trust. This in contrast to the look of pure rage in the eyes of a wolf hybrid right before he sunk his teeth into my hand. I've seen plenty of dogs go hard-eyed, but I've never seen that level of furious in the eyes of a dog. That doesn't mean that all dogs are hypersocial or that dogs can't experience anger. And it shows a picture of a dog, Sam. And it says, he's not happy to be in the backseat of the car. Thank you very much, Barbara Kate, for letting me use this photo. And you can see the dog and his, he's got a little bit of the whites of the eyes showing. His mouth is totally closed. His chin is down on his paw saying, how could you do this to me? How dare you? It seems like a good time to bring this conversation back given how anger seems to be one of the prominent emotions in our species right now. My questions to you are, what do you think about anger in dogs? Possible. Agree or not that it's possible in dogs, but less likely, way less likely than in humans? Do you think you've seen anger in dogs? If you so, if so, tell us what happened and what makes you think so. If you think dogs can, can't get angry, tell us why I'm all ears and I promise not to get angry at any responses, no matter what they are. You know that's pure Patricia McConnell. Uh, I can tell you that it's Patricia McConnell because I am at her website right now, patriciamcconnell.com, and I am looking at the pictures that you're talking about. Okay, uh -huh. and let's start there. So the first one is that dog, it's standing up, and you said its tail was between its legs, its head was kind of pointed down. The one thing that I noticed that you didn't mention was their ears are kind of pointed right. backwards. Yes, they're pointing backwards. And I, I don't remember for sure, but I think the dog is kind of leaning slightly back rather than trying to go forward to whatever it was that's there. And we don't know, yeah, we don't know what the situation was. Was it something that the owner did? yanked on the choke chain before the picture was taken, or it sees something that has frightened it in the past. We don't know the conditions. She didn't tell us that. That's true. We can't judge the picture because of we don't know the context. And it right. it, it does look like it's a choke chain on this dog. Yeah, no, it's it definitely the dog is definitely showing, I think, fear, anxiety. Yeah. I can see a bit of, well, I'm assuming I see a little bit of frustration in its eyes. The other thing that I noticed, especially with that one and the next picture of the dog in the back seat, it looks like their brows are furrowed a bit. Yes, and dogs do have frowning capabilities. There's no question about it. Uh, I've been reading recently a lot about the 
the, the, the ways of expressing. And dogs have many more facial muscles than cats do, for example. Mm -hmm. And they have many similar to us. Where we raise our eyebrows um, when we are excited or sad, the, the, what happens with our mouth. You know, are you, are you smiling just in the mouth or are you smiling all the way up to your eyes? <laughs> and, and that can make a big difference to the dog. They know the difference between good dog, good dog, and yay, what a great dog you are. <laughs> they know, they know the difference. And it's, we have so many similarities, as she points out, the way our brains function. And one of the reasons we know more about that is the, the studies that have been done with dogs, positively reinforced trained dogs that go into MRI machines and their brains are red. They are they were able to read what takes place and what part of the brain for different things, like being happy, being sad, being whatever. And, and the dogs, it's amazing that, that uh, just another step with how we relate to dogs that we can get them. I've never been in an MR, MRI machine, but I understand they're very noisy. And the dogs have been re totally reinforced to remain totally still, no movement, because they're not going to get a good brain reading if the dog is moving around. And what I found interesting was one of the comments about a study that was done said that it, it was interesting that the dogs appeared to be more, it was more important to relate to their owner than to food. And I thought, you silly person, here they are. They want you to help them. That's not something that requires food. They, they're in a stressed situation. And it makes no sense to me that they would want to eat. That, you know, you may have been training them with treats to do that. But now when they're in that situation, they just want to know that you are there for them. And it makes perfect sense to me that they would prefer to and continue with eye contact and contact in whatever way they can pull it off with you rather than a piece of hot dog. I mean, that to me, that doesn't make any sense at all under the circumstances. So I think that these dogs have been, I, I have never been witness to one of them, but I believe that the owner trainer is right there with that dog the, the, the entire time that this is taking place. They don't just run off and say, see you later, kid, I'll be back. Right. But it makes sense that the dog looks to its owner for comfort because that's the way, at least as far as I've been, heard from you, that's the way we train our dogs. That's we train right. our dogs to look at us, then we give the treat. Yeah, And that's an important point, Nate, because it's not a good idea to walk down the street and make hard eye contact with the, the neighbor Rottweiler. That's not a good idea. Because eye contact is often a challenge. Who's going to break the, their eye contact first? Or an invitation for an encounter. But our dogs that trust us and build up a relationship with us will look directly at our eyes. They will do that. And it's not a completely normal canine behavior from the standpoint of stress and um looking for trouble, like one dog looking at another. 
Another thing is, and there are different ways that dogs look at us. And there's called what's called a hard eye, as she mentions. And if you've ever seen it, you know it. It may be only a flash, but you know it. You may have seen it, for example, if you have multiple dogs and one of them has something really tasty and special and another dog walks over and all the dog does is just look in the, and the, the one who's planning on visiting said, I'll see you later. Have a great day. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. There's there's a, an amazing uh, degree of expression similar to us with the way we raise our eyebrows. Now, we don't have the ability to move our ears as much as dogs do, mm-hmm. which is another reason why I'm so against amputation of healthy flesh, um, cropping dogs' ears. Yeah. It makes, they're unable to express properly. And dogs with cropped ears look like they're on guard and ready to roll all the time. And it it sends an entirely different message to any other dogs. So I think the amputation of tails and the amputation of of, uh, ears is a very sad part of our culture. From what I have read, not true in Europe, not true. It's not done legally. If there is a reason, some kind of damage that requires the surgery, fine. But to just do it because you like that look, uh-uh, no. That's why it's done. It's done for us, yeah. not for them. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and people get accustomed to seeing the look of a dog. And I've had dock tail breeds um, for a long, long time. I had a giant schnauzer. I have a standard schnauzer. I had two bouviers. And it's what I did find was I was able to get the giant schnauzer and the bouviers not having their ears cropped. The tails are generally done within about 72 hours of birth, whereas the the ears are done later. And when I put in my bid for a puppy, I requested specifically that I really did. I wanted natural ears and I was able to pull that off. What happens with tails is that if they're being docked, cut short to a couple of vertebrae, one doesn't know what that tail would look like. Would it be held high over the back? Would it hang down low? And so that gives a different description of the the adult dog. Mm -hmm. So if people wanted to have a particular look in the tail, they would have to be carefully breeding for it so that it's it's different. And the tail wagging of a dog tells us a great deal that we are not going to be able to learn, nor are the dogs going to be able to learn if a dock tail. Then if you think, and I have a, a not today, I think, but I, I, I plan on presenting a tail wagging information. And if you think a waving tail is a friendly dog and you reach up to them, you're likely to get bitten because there are many other signals that come through. And one of them is when the tail is above the horizontal and moving back and forth in a rather slightly slow fashion, the dog is suggesting you not come closer. Hmm. What's very easy to read is when the entire dog is wagging. (laughs) 
that's right. And you have to laugh. I mean, you, you know very well that dog can hardly wait to see you. You're the most important, most beautiful person in the entire world. I'm so glad you're in my life today at this minute. And there's never a question about that. But there are other forms of wagging. Some of it is down low, suggesting not very comfortable with the situation. And so, if, and there, there's something about wagging more to the left and to the right. I've forgotten what that is. Yeah, we touched, we touched on that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Amazing so it, stuff. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. And when we amputate this healthy flesh, we're changing that dog's perception of the world because of what the dog is, re how he's being read, especially yeah. by other dogs. So it's, it's, um, it's a whole different game. Did uh, you, was your Rottweilers, uh, did they have their, their tails their, their tails are docked, yeah. Now, coming from Europe, that's not true. And I've seen some Rotties in the United States with natural tails. Yeah. I think they're doing that less and less, actually. I've seen more Rottweilers with their tails. And, and, and again, it's only done for cosmetics. However, I can tell you that that is quite a beefy tail and it can really knock some stuff around. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember years ago, I had clients that had Great Danes and they had to um, anchor their lamps to the side tables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they really did. Yeah. <laughs> living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. All right, so um, one of the things, going back to uh, dogs being angry, and one of the things that I noticed is, especially in these pictures that we were talking about, it looks like the dogs are, are glaring at us. I, I think you called it the hard eye. It's it's a it's a stare. It's a it looks like a mean stare. I mean, well, I that's would, that's I know the whale that eye. That's the whale eye. The hard eye is more like a flash. Okay, you're seeing the whale eye, which is generally the dog's head is going to the right and the eyes are going to the left. Right. Uh, and speaking of dogs, I have to let one out. Uh oh, gotta let Angie out. So let me take this time to. Out. Request that our listeners send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a question, a comment, or concern, something's going on with your dog, you have a behavior question or something, Charlotte would like to help you. Unfortunately, we cannot take calls. We're working on that. Hopefully, we'll be going live sometime later. But right now, the way to get your questions to us is to email us. Our email is the name of the show, livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. That's four words put into one, living yeah. Yeah, with when, when your dog. Yeah, when you're seeing dog. that little bit of white, that's called a whale eye, and that's... You probably don't want to go try pet that dog. Yeah. And the other thing that I've noticed too um, is that I'm, oh, I'm guessing that the dog is angry when I'm able to see its teeth. No, because we also get dogs that do what we refer to as smiling. And they will okay. often, they draw all their lips back and they're, but you can tell from their body that they couldn't be happier. Well, okay. Let's, let's then let me, it, Pair that with growling, growling and showing of the teeth, you know, the when they're grinding, when they're growling and their teeth are exposed, that's a warning signal. There's no question about it. So it's generally, you never want to punish a growl because it's information. You want to be able to remove the cause and then later worry about and address training if it's necessary for that situation or type of situation so what we're talking in terms of with in general when you're talking in terms of a growl there will usually be exposed teeth 
when a dog is pushed too hard, cornered and shouldn't be, you're going to see a lot of teeth exposed, no question about it. So it, it, there are a lot of, of, of mouth expressions. Uh, when the dog has his mouth totally closed, as compared to relaxed and a little bit of maybe tongue hanging out, it's a lot of information. The dog is concerned about something. So generally, you'll have a slight bit of pullback in the lips, that their mouth is slightly open, they're relaxed, they're comfortable with the situation. But a closed mouth generally will indicate there's some anxiety, there's something there that they need to be focusing on. And again, this is when you would want to be watching ears, the stand of the dog, the you know, the, the, whether they, they're getting piloerection, which is hair standing up on their back. Not all dogs will show that. My Bouviers didn't show that. Angie does. She gets upset about something and boy, that, she gets mm -hmm. piloerection, no question about it. But her so hair is shorter than my Bouvier's hair was. Would I be correct in assuming then in this analogy of the growling and the showing of the teeth that the behavior is probably more of feeling of fear rather than feeling of anger? Fear is a major element. When we're talking terms of aggression, it's generally a manifestation of fear. Right. Now, there is aggression that takes place when a bitch is protecting her puppies. And that's just stay away. Please do. If she were feeling threatened, yes. But in general, when dogs are in an aggressive state, it's because they're afraid of something. And it's very closely linked uh, from the standpoint of we can prove it with the studies done on the brain. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to mention because I can, and I've done it myself, I can see a lot of dog owners misinterpreting the aggression uh, as Absolutely. aggression and not fear. Right. Yeah. We, we still, we still have to deal with this um, alpha crap. That, yeah. You know, that, or he's an alpha dog. There are situations in which some dogs are going to be very protective of something they have. But a good example is you have two or three dogs in the household and one dog likes to take sun baths. Okay. So here's the sun coming through and, oh boy, she's stretched out and feeling great. And another dog thinks I'd like to do that and comes over and she growls and says, I don't think you want to right now. But when mm -hmm. she's finished with her sun bath, she doesn't care if you go over and sit in that sun. <laughs> so she's, she is not alpha as a, an identity. She was just standing up for what she wanted to do at the time she wanted to do it. And we have hierarchy, you know, we have dogs that are more inclined to back off. I remember when I was living in Mexico, I had a, a I knew a woman that bred the Cholowit Squinkleys, the hairless dogs. And she usually had two or three of them around at one time. And one of them that she got, no matter what number of dogs were there, she always put herself at the bottom of the list. She always did, didn't matter. She could have been there for a couple of years and a new dog was added. She put herself at the bottom of the list. She wasn't going to take on anybody or challenge anybody. So she, we, we're just talking in terms of dominance. Well, we're, we have hierarchy where it's a more powerful position, but it doesn't carry over to everything. And very often we see 
too many people trying to label a dog. He's dominant. She's alpha. And then they treat them like that is a non-reversible, always with them, never going to change situation. And it's very situational. So, you know, like dog is chewing on the bone and you come over and you want it. And I don't think so. You're not going to take this bone when she's finished chewing on it. If she hasn't eaten it, she doesn't care. I know. I have my fun, but I don't care what you want the bone. What, a, what do I care about it? <laughs> That's true. That dog that was just laying in the sun and is done, and the other dog comes and lays in the sun, that first dog's not going to come around and be like, get out of my spot, even though I'm not sitting there anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so much of this stuff do. is situational, but yes, we have dogs that have more power in a hierarchically speaking, and, and that's something that... They, you see it apparently in, in litters of puppies yeah. where some of them are like them taking charge of everybody and they push everybody away from the favorite tit for milk. And they, that's and the other one says, I don't care. I'll just go someplace else. You know, and I, you have I, some that are just going to go to the bottom one where the bottom tit doesn't ever get the same kind of milk as the top one does. And they'll just put themselves yeah. there. That's how, that's my lot in life. That's the way I am. And, and I think that's more of a personality trait rather than or an expression of their personality rather than being an alpha that's right there are personality differences yeah. you know and we need to and there are people that will say well you dogs can't have personalities well yes they can Come and i now. think i think uh the woman who studied the chimps got into all kinds of trouble because she gave them names <gasps> you can't name <laughs> animals you just have to give them numbers okay. and she gave them personalities <gasps> they can't have personalities they're not human well they have personalities you know and it's it's we now that we are learning more about how the brain functions it's becoming more and more difficult to deny the reality of how similar we are <laughs> Uh, that is great. Yes, that is awesome. They do have personality. Anybody who's had a dog knows dogs have personalities. Absolutely. No question about it. All right. I want to present this one, Pitfalls of Retractable Leashes. This is something that I think it says in here someplace that, you know, this is something that makes trainers really upset. A lot of people use them, but it's it's really not a good idea, folks. Now, this was written by Nancy Kearns, who's the editor of the Whole Dog Journal. She says, I know it's low-hanging fruit to criticize people for misuse of retractable leashes, but there are an awful lot of first-time dog owners out there who may have been tempted by the highly convenient devices and who don't know their pitfalls. And because I'm traveling at the moment and just saw a near disaster out my hotel window, window involving one of these products, allow me to explain. And then for those of you who have been around for a while, why don't you tell us your favorite never use a retractable lease story in the comments. So she said, I heard some hubbub and glanced out the window to see what was up. There was a moving van towing a trailer with a car in it and an SUV towing a trailer with a small car on that and a group of people all getting ready to hit the road for another fun day of apparently moving their household in the summer heat. A number of adults were milling around, putting their bags in the various vehicles. The fact that they had that they had dogs held my eye. A pretty golden retriever and a tall and young-looking Great Dane who was wearing a harness, both attached to young women who were holding retractable leashes. 
As I watched, another person came out of the hotel with two metal bowls full of water and offered them to the dogs. Drink up, dogs. It's your last chance for a bit. I was just about to leave the window when the action of the young woman held my eye. She put the handle of the leash that was attached to the Great Dane on the fender of the trailer and walked around the moving van to do something else. Oh, no. I said helplessly from my third floor window. And sure enough, it happened. The dog turned her head, which pulled the handle of the leash off the fender so it fell towards the dog's head, spooking her and making her bolt. How many times have I seen a dog running in panic because being chased by a rattling plastic retractable leash handle that was bouncing along on the ground and bumping the dog's heels? Answered too many times to count. Thank dog, the cane only ran backward a few feet before the other young woman yelled and the dog stopped shaking with fright. Thank dog again because this hotel is within a few hundred yards of a busy intersection and highway. I get that these devices are great for what we like to call sniff walks, where you allow the dog to stop and start and wander at will. But most trainers hate them because they also condition a dog to pull against the pressure of a spring-loaded leash to reach what they want to see or smell. When the holy grail for most dog walkers is walking with a a leash, walking with a dog, it doesn't pull and drag you around. This is counterproductive. Also, if the dog suddenly pulls towards something, unless the owner is paying absolute attention in the ready with the button that operates the brake and the brake actually works, the bargain models tend to break down, the dog can bolt into the street. We've heard stories of dogs getting hit and killed by a car while in one of these leashes, bolt towards a frightened person or a person with a fearful dog starting a dog bite, making a person fall, etc., or clothesline a person who might be jogging, skateboarding, or riding a bike. The biggest problem is that there is not a good way to reel the dog back in if he's already out at the end of the leash. These models that have a cord inside can get wrapped around the dog and people's legs and can cut deeply. If you grab one trying to control the dog, the cord can slice your hand open. The ones with tape or flat line inside are safer. There's still no good way to shorten the leash quickly if the dog is pulling away. Only if he comes back toward you or if you can catch up quickly to him. And of course, if someone lets go of the handle, an inexperienced dog tends to panic and run wildly with the leash handle chasing it. Some of you may defend them. I must say I find them to be very helpful for walking smallish dogs in the area where my dogs can safely walk off leash. No other people, no roads nearby. They have great recall. But in my opinion, they should never be used with a big dog. They don't give you enough control. And never, never, never around other dog walkers, pedestrians, cyclists, etc. They are just an accident waiting to happen in crowded environments. And amen to that. Um, I did get one, and what I used it for was I was traveling a lot more many, many years ago, and and getting to a rest stop when I was making a 2,500-mile trip from Mexico to California, it was nice to have the retractable lead allowing the dog to move around in a rest stop a little bit more than uh, what I generally use as a three-foot leash. So, yes, but that was the only time, and I recall having a client when I was living in Mexico and I, I saw him one day and his, he had a big gash on his forehead. And I said, what happened? Well, he was using a retractable leash with his boxer and the leash snagged. And I had had that happen with one that I used. And when it snagged, the dog hit hard against it and knocked him over and he hit his head on the curb. Oh, geez. And I can recall when 
I used one and my dog got distracted and went behind me and I had a burn on the back of my calves. Wow. So it, okay. it just don't go there from here, folks. Don't so go there from here. Don't use the retractable leashes. You had used one and it was for it sounded like for a very specific reason when you're at a rest stop and the dog has been in, locked in the car for hours and needs to roam around. I right. get that. And that seems more like you're using it as a, what, is, what are those called? Like a dog run? Well, you know, the, the generally the, the rest stop for where the, the pet area is, is not fenced. And I, the reason that I use the retractable as compared to just a long line, which is what I use to walk Angie now, I've got like a 40 foot um, cotton line, is the cotton line would drag around in what I didn't want it dragging around in. So the retractable was, was um, off the ground. So the line was, you know, directly to me. So I wasn't worried about what it was picking up in the dog walk area. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. But uh, otherwise, uh, from this story, this article from Nancy Kearns and the whole dog journal, I take it as it's just allowing uh, a retractable lease is just allowing a human to be negligent. There you go. <laughs> well said, Nate. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, uh, ignorance is a great part of it. They think that they're doing their dogs a favor. Well, yeah. no, they're doing themselves a favor because they don't need to watch the dog. The dog can go wherever it wants. And I just have this little break whenever I want to stop. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, uh, it's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this really drives me crazy is when parents put their kids on a leash. Oh, <laughs> now I can understand. You know, when I've seen it the most is like at amusement parks and stuff like that, where there's a ton of people around and it's easy to lose a child. I get that. But still, it's allowing the parent to be negligent. Yeah, right. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. All right. We have time for one more. Uh, I'd like I got a couple things for you. Okay. I have an update on my coworker who we talked about, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, where her veterinarian friend told her that oh, right, right. she needs to feed the dry dog feed so that right, it cleans the, cleaned the dog's his teeth. teeth. <laughs> and I broke up. <laughs> Can you believe that? Okay, so uh, that night when I talked to her before I brought it to you and the radio show, that I, I did the same thing you did. I was appalled. I laughed and I said, that guy's totally wrong. You need to get bones and i told her the whole story with your dogs and angie and never had to clean her teeth or nothing it sounds like angie needs to come in pardon was that does angie need to come in am i hearing her yes i do thank you you could hear her i'll be right back <laughs> again you can give us shoot us an email we want to hear from you living with your dog at gmail.com here for all your dog needs and questions that's a trick girl and dry dog feed doesn't clean it's the dog's teeth. There you go. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so it's really warm out there, so I know she wanted in. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that night, that night that she told me this, and I told her, no, you need to do the whole raw bones thing or something like that. She went straight to the store and got her dog chicken feet. Oh, great! I love and it. and she said that. When she gave her dog the chicken feet, the dog looked at her like Angie had looked at you. Like, what are you? What am I supposed to do with this? Oh thing? yeah, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so what she did was she cut it up into pieces and gave it to her dog, and the dog loved it. There you go. 
yeah. And I remember what I did when I first introduced um, raw chicken to my Bouvier, my giant schnauzer. The giant schnauzer, and I think I've said this before, she, she looked at me like, it took you a while, but you finally got it right. <laughs> and the Bouvier, he, he drew his lips back. And with his front teeth, he carefully picked it up and took it to the corner of the yard and dumped it. <laughs> and so what I did was I said, no, 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 no. Now I've, I've caught on to this picture. So this is what I'm going to do. And I took the chicken wing and I put it in some plastic bags and I hammered on it <laughs> until it was all smushed. And I, I added some to the dreadful dog food that we had at that time in Mexico. And, and then he, he, I got accustomed to something that it hadn't, he hadn't had it before. So how could it be food? Yeah. <laughs> so, but let me ask you this. When cutting that stuff up, does it, is that going to impede the benefits of cleaning the teeth? Well, actually, what I have read in the past is that if one feeds a raw diet with the bones ground, the dogs are still going to have healthier mouths and cleaner teeth than they would if they were being fed kibble. But the reality is dogs like to chew. It's not just chewing when they're teething. Dogs, generally speaking, um, enjoy chewing on something their entire lives. It's, a, it's part of a dog genetic program that that's what they did was they either found things at the dump that they had to break down and chew or they were, they were hunting or whatever. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch a dog, like when I give her a pork shoulder bone, there's a lot of action going on. She's using her front feet to hold it in place. She's chewing on the left side. She's chewing on the right side. She's using jaws and neck muscles to get it all done. And of course, she's definitely working on her teeth. So right, there's, but, there's a benefit to getting bones that they can actually work on and eat, which they cannot do with the marrow bones. Those are weight-bearing bones, and they are not raw, meaty bones. Go ahead. But if one chops it up, chops up the chicken feed or the, the chicken wing or something like that, there's not as much work going on as you just described with the right. neck and the holding it down and stuff. Right. So it's not getting the full benefit that it could if we were to keep the, the bone. Exactly. Intact. So for a small dog, you know, chihuahua size and so on, that you would be able to give a chicken wing to, that would do more work on gum line issues because their mouths are so much smaller than if you're doing it with a Labrador retriever where they're just going to chomp and swallow. Right. And so there's not much, there's not much chewing going on. So it's going to depend on size of dog compared to size of bone. But even when it's ground up or minced up, it's an introductory phase phase to getting your dog accustomed to it. And then you would begin to branch over. And I think Dr. Ian Billinghurst, I think I remember reading in one of his books that he would put chicken wings in the nests of puppies at by three weeks of age. Now they weren't able to eat them at that age, but they were able to nibble and play with them and begin to develop bacteria. And uh, you know, they, they got away with it just fine. So then the chopping of it, at least as an example for my coworker here, chopping it up is okay for now because it's getting the dog comfortable with right. the new type of food. 
but then hopefully she does later on she doesn't have to do that and the dog can get more of a benefit in absolutely. terms of cleaning yes. the teeth. Absolutely. Sure. Uh-huh. Okay. But always raw. Always, always, always raw. Yes, let's stress that again. Never cooked bones. Never cooked bones. And the reason is they get brittle and that could cause puncturing somewhere along the way in the digestive tract. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one person. That's uh, I, I'm sorry. That's another person that we have changed their attitudes on that terrible dry dog feed. It it feels good, doesn't it, Charlotte? <laughs> it feels good. I was really stoked when uh, she came up to me uh, this week and said, "I went and got chicken feet." She gave me this weird look. And I just started laughing and I thought of Charlotte and, and Angie and the weird looks that we can get from our dogs when yeah. we're trying to do the best for them. <laughs> Let's review some of the stuff we went over today. We started off with uh, that hot asphalt. It's hot mm -hmm. out there, folks. And uh, these numbers, Charlotte said, so if it's 77 degrees outside, the asphalt could be in the almost, it could be 125 degrees. If it's 87 degrees outside, which a lot of places it is right now, I know it is where you live, the asphalt could be 143 degrees. That's scalding hot. Your dog could burn its paws. Okay, those That's paws right. are not just protective pads. They're, they're like our fingertips. As Charlotte said, there are nerve endings in there. They can burn and make life miserable for your dog who spends all its time on its feet. Uh, there are products that you can get. Uh, there's booties and stuff like that. Uh, Charlotte said if you have a dark dog, uh, it, it absorbs the heat a lot. So maybe you can get uh, like a reflective cotton coat or, or blanket or something to put over your dog. I think that's a great idea. Or if it's really hot outside, take the day off. Stay inside. There you go. You don't there like you going go. out. I don't like going out in the hot. My dog probably doesn't either. All right. Next up from Patricia McConnell. Dogs in anger. Do dogs get angry? Well, they share a lot of the same emotions that we do. We've seen a dog get angry. There are signs that your dog is angry, ears that we talked about, ears back, a furrowed brow. Um, and again, these are signs. And just a reminder, don't ever punish a growl. The dog's trying to tell you something. And let's see, next up, the pitfalls of the retractable leash from Nancy Kearns in the Whole Dog Journal, another great resource that we talk about quite often. The retractable leash, it is not very good. There's all sorts of problems that could come from it. Uh, For sure. yeah, stay away from them. Uh, you don't have enough control. And as I said, it just allows you to be negligent, which you should not be when yeah. you are For sure. Pay living attention. with your dog. Pay attention. For all sure. right, so <laughs> before we head out, do you have any last words for us? Yes, humanity's true moral test consists of its attitude towards those who are at its mercy, animals. Milan Kundera. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Isn't that cool? Check out all the content brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Listen to the new show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in Living With Your Dog. 
Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not-so-favorite films. Spoilers abound, so scary movie fans beware. Watch no evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. You can find all these shows wherever you find podcasts.